Welcome, listeners, to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, the podcast that highlights cozy and traditional mysteries. You won't find stories filled with explicit sex or graphic violence. You will find interviews with authors who create crime fiction filled with intriguing plots, engaging characters, and high-quality writing. Thanks for listening. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Joining me in the corner today is Lita Sedaris, author of the Southern California Mysteries, to chat about her latest, slightly murderous intent. Welcome, Lita. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Slightly murderous intent is the fourth Southern California mystery. Would you introduce us to your sleuth, Corey, and tell us what she's up to this time out? Of course. She is loosely based on my former life working as an entertainment attorney for a movie studio. And that's how I started writing the book, as me, once upon a time. But then as I got through maybe the first quarter of the book, I, I realized just how tedious and boring it was. So I took it in a completely different direction. She is the daughter of a well-known private investigator in Los Angeles, and she used to shadow her father on his cases, and she ended up helping him crack a few very high-profile cases. So she has a little bit of experience under her belt. However, when the first book opens, Murder and Other Unnatural Disasters, she is trying to get away from sleuthing because something happens to her father that she tries to avoid happening to herself. So she is an attorney working in a movie studio, but of course, when she starts, she's blackmailed into investigating a suspicious death of a coworker. That didn't happen to me. I had no blackmail, no homicides. <laughs> Mine was relatively a very dull uh, stint at the movie studio, but not so much for her. Now you, so how do you, when you base something on real life, how do you kind of jazz it up so that it's not quite as tedious as real life often is, but is not so far out there that it lapses over into the realm of fantasy fiction. <laughs> well, in a way it was my fantasy because I was very, um, I was 26, the same age as she is in, in my books. And I was kind of uh, intimidated by everything and everyone because it was my first major job. And everyone told me, everyone used to say to me, how did you land that job? How can I get that job? So I was thinking, wow, you know, can I handle this? But with her, she's already fearless as it is. Her gene for caution is a recessive one. So nothing much phases her. She's a bit immature. She does make mistakes, so she's not perfect. And uh, she just plows ahead, goes forward. I think about what I did and what I wish I had done, and I have her do those things. So it could have been my reality had I a little bit more backbone, which I've given to her. Makes <laughs> me feel much better now. But anyway, she's, she's come a long way from the beginning. So you're vicariously fearless. Yes, exactly. Well, actually, I think... Since I've started writing this series, I've possibly become more fearless thanks to her. <laughs> I figure if a 26-year-old fictional character can do it, why can't I? <laughs> <laughs> and kind of on a related note, when you know, we're writing about something uh, that's in our area of expertise, we 
tend to kind of geek out and go down the jargon and excessive detail trail. So how do you balance including enough detail for accuracy and clarity, but not so much that someone reading it is going to think, okay, this is a legal brief instead of a fun mystery. Well, lawyers, you know, they're notorious for being verbose when they don't need to be perhaps being redundant, even though they say they can't stand redundancy, because I've, I've never written a brief or a pleading or anything like that, because from the start, right out of law school, I never went to trial. I was a transactional attorney. I negotiated and drafted contracts on behalf of the studio, which is what she does as well. So I don't, I hope I'm not one of those verbose attorneys who talks too much or writes too much. I hope I'm pretty succinct. Also, I really, really admire writers who, are, who write simply and still get so much across. I'm a notorious editor for that reason. I keep going through and chopping it up and chopping it up till I get, I hope, out all the excess verbiage so that what needs to, only what needs to be there stays, remains. So I, I hope, I, I truly, truly hope that I don't write like that because I know that I skip over the parts that I, too much detail when I'm reading. I wanna just get to the heart of the matter and. I, what, whatever I put in, I try to include to propel the story forward. That's how I look at it. You would probably be a judge's dream. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> now you mentioned that you're not a trial lawyer. And a lot of us, let's face it, me included, based what we think we know about lawyers, about what we see on TV, oh, yes. books, and in seeing movies. And I'm sure it's all like really wrong. Um, I'm a <laughs> physician and I know it makes me crazy some of the stuff that they act like doctors do. Like we don't actually do that. <laughs> so for those of us who should know better, but don't. Can you explain a little bit about the different types of, of, of law? It sounds like you, you specialize just like a lot of other professions do and yes. not everybody is a trial lawyer. Exactly, exactly. Like I said, I only did transactional work. And actually currently I'm no longer in the movie studio system. I run a nonprofit. So I went from high profit to nonprofit. And in both places, I, I don't need to go to trial. I do things that most people wouldn't think lawyers do. And I'm looking, I work with 600 lawyers and judges, and I see a vast array of cases and personalities, uh, all, all sorts of things. And I also work with members of the public to try to find them the type of legal assistance they need. I get calls sometimes from people who can't get help anywhere else. So I try to work them through it. I don't, I really can't give advice, but I can direct them and guide them hopefully to get some sort of satisfactory resolution. But there are so many things a lawyer can do. Just having a law degree is probably the same in medicine too, I would think. It's like having a, a weapon in your back pocket that you can pull out now and then uh, you know, and, and use. When I first graduated from law school and I got my job in the entertainment studio, I couldn't believe, I was so green that if I laid down in grass, you couldn't see me, but I couldn't believe the number of people who'd come up to me and ask me questions from how do I copy, copyright my cookbook to, my uncle was almost hit in the street by a car. What I do? I mean, everybody assumed I was a, an oracle. I had all the, the knowledge, but I, I was, again, I didn't know a thing. So as coming out of law school, hopefully it's not this way in medical school. You actually do use some of the things that you learn, right? You should. But, yeah, but in, we do use some of them. <laughs> but in law school, again, since I didn't do your standard, didn't practice standard law, I had to learn on the job. Every, almost every job I've had, I have, I've had no training for. I learned by doing, including writing. <laughs> now, what, what was it like for going from something, as you said, is, is high profit as entertainment law to 
a, a nonprofit that's providing a, a you know a public service to people with with few other outlets. Very eye opening because I lived in a little bubble in the entertainment industry where everyone was like me, and they were. I mean, I hate to refer to stereotypes, but there were a lot of shark types working in there. And that was a bit distressing. I remember always feeling stressed out. And I, I always had to watch my own back because there was no one to watch it for me. If I, I get stabbed in the back and the front and the sides everywhere from people I'd never expected. So that was, for someone who was a young lawyer, it was, um, it was a lot. And I remember I stopped liking the person that I was when I went in because I became a different person by the time I left. But all of a sudden now, um, I, I took some time off to stay home with my children. And then I came back into the workforce as a nonprofit lawyer. And now I see problems that I, and just situations that I didn't know existed. I'm so grateful for that opportunity to be able to relate to so many more things than I did when I was just in the entertainment industry. So it's very, it's very grueling, but it's very gratifying at the same time. Now, it sounds like both aspects of your, your legal career would yield some situations that might translate into a murder mystery. Yeah. Although you probably have a little more fun with the entertainment side of it. So how did, how did you decide to use that kind of as the, the basis? I mean, were you sort of working out your revenge fantasies on some <laughs> Well, I thought, I, I never read a book uh, that starred an a mystery, that starred an entertainment attorney before. And there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of situations where you might want to do someone in because of their behavior or their, just their personalities even. I thought it would be wonderful. And plus it was, I was so distanced from it. So many years had gone by that it was very easy for me to go back and let my imagination run wild with what had happened and turn it into different situations. It's harder for me to write where I am right now. Although the book I'm currently working on number five in the series actually will take place in the Santa Barbara area, which is where I currently live. Um, and so it's a little more pressure maybe because I have to really write what I see now, not what I used to see. But anyway, um, I have a lot of material from both places. My short stories I used, I have two short stories that were recently published and I used my, uh, my current day job uh, for, as for kernels of ideas. So, I mean, as you know, Alexia, ideas are everywhere. We just have to reach out and pull them in and make, take advantage to the extent that we can. Now, you also, you mentioned you're in California and Southern California is in the series title name. So yes. it sounds like it is important, an important role. I mean, after all, you, did, you didn't call it the downtown Manhattan mysteries. You, you called it <laughs> Southern California for a reason. So what role does, does your setting play in, in your book? Well, first of all, do you know how vast Southern California is? I have a lot of territory to cover. So that that was very, I didn't realize it when I started this, but I realized, but afterwards I thought, you know, she can go anywhere or so many different places. And the reason why I selected that was because that's where I grew up. That's what I knew. Um, and I loved, I love putting her in places that I've been to and have things happen. She turns them on their head, things that I would never happen when I went. I go out to eat, I get served a meal. She goes out to eat, she gets served crime a la mode. <laughs> And also I have her go to visit places that I haven't been. For example, the Los Angeles County morgue uh, has a gift shop. I've never been to the, to the morgue or the gift shop, but through her, I discovered that there was one and that they have all sorts of things, beach towels with body outlines and yeah, swag. <laughs> anyway, I won't go any farther than that, but it's just, I get to see what I've seen firsthand and 
see even more, you know, things that I didn't think about at the time. Because, you know, as a writer, we have to use all of our senses. We have to really, really immerse ourselves in settings and characters and so on. I get to do that now. So I see the world in a different light. <laughs> I have to admit, now I've got this image of, of a mug that says, I went to the morgue and all I got was <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if for, for those of us who are from the other coast and yeah. honestly don't really know uh, what Southern California encompasses, um, I'm, I'm sure I'm not, I hope I'm not the only geographically challenged person. <laughs> what part of California does Southern California encompass? It's, it's more than just Hollywood. It, well, yes, it starts with uh, San Diego which is near the Mexican border and goes all the way to the northern tip, which is where I live, which is Santa Barbara. Um, from Santa Barbara to drive to, Santa, to San Diego, if there's no traffic, if there's traffic, it'll take me five hours, but no traffic, I could potentially get there in two and a half to three hours. So that's about the area. It, 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 you know, if that travel time helps you, I don't know if that gives you a sense, but you know, we have different little climates all around. We have desert, we have snow. We have beach, we have mountains. So again, there's a lot of territory to cover. Some people think that I write cozies. And I, that kind of caught me by surprise because it's not, Southern California is not exactly a small town. My heroine's not exactly an amateur. She's a quasi-professional. Uh, she does know how to use weapons very well, thanks to her PI dad. Uh, and let me see, what else is a cozy element? Oh, there, she doesn't have any pets. I would love it if she did because I, I love my pets, but she doesn't. But still, people think it's a cozy. And that's okay. They can think whatever they want it to be, as far as I'm concerned. As, as far as they, as, if they enjoy it, I'm happy with whatever they call it. <laughs> well, I, I want to go on the assumption that it's because it incorporates some humor as well as no graphic sex or violence. I'm assuming people aren't bleeding all over the, the page and having some fun while they're, they're solving the, the mystery. Oh, yes, that, that's, that's accurate. <laughs> So how do you incorporate humor into something that's as unfunny as murder without seeming flippant or disrespectful? It's, it's not easy. It's not easy. Uh, that, that's for sure. But I know the movies, the TV shows, the books I like to read do have humor in them because I need that lighthearted side and everything. Uh, and I write it straight in the first draft. There's not, if there's any humor, it's very minimal. But as I go through it and go through it and go through it, then I realized that, you know, these, you have to make light of it just for your own survival. Just like with our own lives, when my, when my day jobs get grueling, gets grueling, I need to find some humor in the situation. I have my heroine do the same thing because there are a lot of, there are a lot of quirky characters out there. Some of the people who call me on the help on the phone during my day job and want help. I mean, they don't realize that it's potentially humorous, but anyway, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Um, and, and speaking of quirky characters, which is, is another uh, characteristic of, of cozy or, or light mysteries, I mean, in, in, with Southern California being as vast as it actually is, I'm sure you meet a wide variety of people. Right. They're not all Hollywood types. And your, your sleuth Corey has, um, I think you call them the, the B team of mm -hmm. her, her very particular circle that, that helps her. So how do you create secondary characters that are, are vibrant and, and quirky enough for people to kind of feel like they know them, but not so much that they kind of overshadow your main character? 
Right. Well, they have, they fill in the gaps. They do things that she doesn't know how to do very well. She's not adept at. For example, her best friend and uh, somewhat love interest is a computer nerd. And he's also very good at fixing cars. And he's a wonderful cook. And she can't do any of those things. So that's how he compliments her and doesn't overtake her. And he's also um, afraid of weaponry, which she's again, very adept at. And he doesn't like the sight of blood. So that's kind of a balance right there. I create my secondary characters based on brushes I've had typically with real people. I don't know them, but if they've run into me and if they happen to have some celebrity standing, they could very well end up in my book. <laughs> Whether a, a small character or a big one, for example, her legal assistant slash now associate PI uh, is based on, I was in Beverly Hills, California once and with my younger son, and he saw someone driving uh, by us in a Rolls Royce. And he said, look, look. And I looked to see who it was. And it was a celebrity. And she looked like she was having such a grand time. And she looked like she'd be so fun. And I thought, you know what? She'd make the perfect, you know, second BFF for my main, for my heroine. And that was um, Queen Latifah. So every time I write the character of Vera, I picture her. And I picture the words coming out of her mouth. Because who wouldn't want to hang out with her in her sunny disposition? And then her other uh, uh, sidekick is a, an assistant deputy DA. And he comes in quite handy because my heroine tends to break laws. She's always on the verge of getting called by the state bar and questioned. And so he does his best to try to keep her maneuvers legal. And that's how I have, well, I work them all in. Now you mentioned your, your secondary character sort of fill in the gaps uh, to what your main character is not adept at, but she is adept at private investigation. Yes. Again, I'm basing this on TV, which I know I shouldn't do. You know, <laughs> Perry Mason comes to mind. <laughs> Lawyers seem to work closely with private investigators. Um, if, if I'm completely wrong about that, please let me know. Uh, but if I'm not completely wrong about it, what's, what's kind of the, the difference between what they do and, and how does being a lawyer help you when you're plotting a, a character that is a private investigator? I think that's such an interesting question. Thank you for asking. And that's because the calls that I get during the day, I have to be a PI to get to the bottom of what they're telling me. First of all, I never know if they're telling me the truth. So I have to do some investigation and research to, to make sure they're not concocting some story because they want some, some sort of free help. So I really think that um, they do. They kind of, they, there's some overlap. I mean, even Nancy Drew, her father was a lawyer and she was a PI. I just made my character a lawyer slash almost a PI and her father was a PI. So she does know what she's doing. But again, I think there's so much overlap and being a lawyer will hopefully keep your maneuvers legal. My, my uh, heroine's not having much luck, but she's genuinely working on it. <laughs> so ho hopefully any actual lawyers and PIs reading your series will remember that in real life, you do have to obey the law. Yes. Hey, thank you. <laughs> that's the that's 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 the legal disclaimer for the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Correct. Now you you mentioned that you're working on book five. Can you tell yes. us anything about that? Yes, I can. Uh, Corey is actually investigating a missing person in a retire in a ritzy retirement community in Santa Barbara, California. And as she's looking around, these, these retirees are not what she thought they'd be. You know, you think of senior citizens kind of sitting around and playing bingo, not really getting around much, but they're the opposite. They don't play croquet, they play combat croquet. They, you know, everything they do, they do a little bit excessively. And soon that missing person case 
turns into attempted murder. Hmm. Yeah. So intriguing. Missing and murderous senior citizen. I've just <laughs> got a vision of an elderly individual running after someone with a croquet mallet. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now I have elderly individuals in my own life. And so it seemed just a natural thing to tackle to maybe get some things out of my system once more. <laughs> not, not them, but I mean, they're both in facilities and sometimes I question if they're being taken, you know, the best care of and things like that. Yeah, so, so fiction is, is a safe way to work out things without, yes, again, in my own mind. <laughs> exactly. That, you know, crossing any lines. It's good therapy. That's true. <laughs> um, and what's next for you after that? You think there'll be more Corey books? Or are you working on something different? You mentioned you write short stories as well. I, I really enjoy short, short stories. They're more challenging, I think, because you have to write more and less words. But I have uh, three more Cory books to do. I have number five and six and seven. So that will be, I really can't look much beyond that because I want to focus on this. But I don't know, maybe someday try a different genre. Do you, do you ever think of what you're going to do when, once you're done with your, your paranormal series? I just say every time I think of an idea, a dead body always shows up. Somehow, so I have to stick with with uh, mysteries because I, I can't stop killing people on the page. So. <laughs> well, it does give you quite a, a bit of satisfaction, right? To get yes, maybe... <laughs> but I, but I'll, I'll never tell who in, who inspired the dead body. It wasn't Queen Latifah. I've never I've never met her. <laughs> she would not inspire a dead body, but. Um, <laughs> And um, do you do you want to tell us any more about your your nonprofit? Well, um, it's it's countywide, and again, uh, we have we have modest means programs for those who may not be able to afford the you know to pay for a, a regular attorney. We try our best to help them. Sometimes I I've, I've learned so much. Now I'm actually applying what I learned in law school that I couldn't apply in the entertainment industry because now it, I cover so much ground. I mean everything from family law to criminal law to bankruptcy. I mean, you name it, it comes across my desk. Um, and again, it's very gratifying being able to help people. I get blessed daily, I, but I have people get mad at me too when I can't help them or they don't have a case and they believe they've got like the case to, to end all cases. Anyway, never a dull moment is really how I can sum it up. <laughs> maybe you can tell them maybe their, their case will end up in a mystery and you'll fictionally give them <laughs> what they're looking for. <laughs> I get more fans I think than I wanted at that point because <laughs> as it is I have some people I have people who constantly contact me over and over again so I try to lie low to the extent <laughs> I can. <laughs> and for fans who would like to buy a copy of your book where, where can they buy your buy your series? Oh um, I, I guess an online indie is it indie bookstore, I forget what it's called, or Amazon or Barnes and Noble, any of the, the regular outlets. Bookshop, there you go. I think that's what it is, yeah. Any of your regular outlets, or if they visit my website, some of the, the um, links are there as well. Thank you. And your website is? LidaSideris.com. That's L-I-D-A-S-I-D-E-R-I-S.com. And are you on social media? I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Goodreads. <laughs> and I'm all under your name or do you have a- yes. No, that, that's my only name. <laughs> okay. All right, well, thank you very much. Um, and uh, thank you also for 
your work with the nonprofit, helping people who, who need help. So you, you're entertaining them and helping them out of their distress all at the same time. So that's, that's Thank you. wonderful. So. Thank you, Alexia, so much for hosting me today. I really appreciate it. And thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Lita Sedaris, author of Slightly Murderous Intent, the fourth Southern California mystery. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star rating or review. Help me keep bringing you fun and informative chats with authors of cozy and traditional mysteries by supporting the podcast on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash author Alexia Gordon. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.